When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Now that's the way to do things, our way. Have it your way, have it your way, at Burger King, with Burger King. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 84, Once Upon a Planet, and Mud's Passion, from Star Trek, the animated series. <laughs> It's time for another fun-filled animated adventure. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Today, we get to revisit a couple of old friends. First, it's the seemingly magical Shoreleaf Planet. Then it's our favorite criminal mastermind, Harry Mudd. The titles, in case you're wondering what those are and you want to hear somebody with a little bit more inflection say them than the uh, computer, which did a fine job, by the way. Uh, Once Upon a Planet, there's inflection, and Mud's Passion. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well well done. Listen later, by the way, for the Harry Mud action figure commercial. And uh, and spoiler alert, there isn't one. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, making things up again. I know. Well, usually in the first minute, minute and a half of the show. I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, we, so we've been having a little bit of fun with the Saturday morning thing and sort of hearkening back to our childhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not everybody's, but certainly ours. I'm curious, how many of the toys that we have heard ads for um, did you have or do you still have? Or, you know, both questions. More than probably I'm comfortable to admit as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. First of all, let, let me say that Harry Mudd is just a very unfortunate name, no matter what. And and I really wish that they would do kind of a retro uh, Mego style Harry Mudd action figure. It would just look like a Gorn. A- Harry Mudd, <laughs> I guess it would. But that was the whole Mego thing, right? It's like, oh, right. it's Harry Mudd. Well, it's not really. It looks, just, you know. Just put, put a Gorn in a white coat. <laughs> call exactly. him Harry Mudd. Um, no, so here's the thing. I, I had a few of them when they were new, mm-hmm. you know, when those things were first out. I, I had the uh, the Star Trek utility belt. I had some of the models. I had the uh, phaser battle game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later when I started collecting stuff, uh, then I, I kind of repurchased and expanded on that. So, uh, the bridge playset, yep, still got that. So I got the box for it and everything. Um, I've got most of the major cast in action figure form, the original, uh, Kirk, Spock, uh, Uhura, Scotty, and a Klingon, uh, none of the aliens. Those are really, really hard to get. Um, but yeah, I, I, Good amount of that stuff. Um, I didn't have the communicators, but they made this um, th- this sort of accessory for that. It was a communication station. It, it was about the size of like a small laptop. And it, you would use that as sort of a relay if you had the communicator walkie-talkies. Hmm. It's very cool. It lit up. It made noise, you know. Okay. Uh, but I've got that in the box somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How about you? 
I know that I had the um the the bridge playset when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, no idea what happened to that. Sadly, I think, and I have not seen an ad for this, and I don't know. I might be misremembering, but I think I had like a like a uh, like a slide projector, not the not the planetarium thing that we heard the ad for last week, but I think I had like a like a slide projector that would let you project you know slides on the wall, uh, like film strips in a way, kind of like you had in school, you know. You know what I think? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I believe I had a handheld game where you sort of drove the Enterprise over stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I might just be mashing that up with another game I had. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I was just I was just wondering because some of these I see ads for them and I'm like, I think either I had that or a friend had that. And then there's other stuff that I'm like, why why did they even make that thing and who bought it? And right. and then I think, <laughs> right. well, you know, John Champion. Speaking no, right. of which, there there's another question that has one automatic answer. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is, I mean, the automatic answer is John Champion. That question, of course, who does Star Trek trivia? Oh, 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 I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand. Okay, I think I think I see John Champion's hand. Who who does Star Trek trivia, John Champion? <laughs> that would be me. Uh, all right, so we're ready to do ah, Sorry, and... the answer we were looking for is John Champion. Oh, oh. Sorry, <laughs> uh, sorry four minute question. Who is John Champion? He's the he guy who does is, trivia. He, he is me. Oh, wait, all right. you weren't asking um, me. Sorry, go ahead, please. Allow me trivia. to stop stopping you. I'm going to do trivia a little bit differently this week, Ken. Right. Uh, we got some response from our listeners. We do listen. We do pay attention to all of our reader response, uh, listener response. We read it. Um, and they said, hey, why don't you put some more of the trivia after each episode? And that makes sense. So we don't kind of lose track of the episode. So what I want to do is talk about the shows kind of in general. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about filmation and the state of animation at the time that these shows were on. So um, first two things to know. Uh, we are talking about Once Upon a Planet and Mud's Passion. So very much like More Tribbles, More Troubles uh, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was an intended sequel to Shore Leave that never got made in the original series. So now we have that sequel, or at least a form of it, with Once Upon a Planet. And uh, Mud's Passion, the same thing. This is a loose adaptation of an intended uh, TOS episode that never got made. So we, we definitely are kind of making a case here for the, the shared DNA of the original series and the animated series. Today also we have the final appearance of an original series guest star reprising his role. So previously we had Mark Leonard as Sarek, and we had Stanley Adams as Cyrano Jones, and today we have Roger Carmel as Harry Mudd. Um, now, let's talk about filmation a bit. We have talked in Mission Log, Ken, about how you can just see the budget cuts. <laughs> you can see things like the fingerprints on the animation cell of the Enterprise as it glides by. You, you, can, you get a sense of how they were making this fit into their budget. I mm-hmm. literally saw a hair. <laughs> right. On right. one of the cells in one of the episodes today. Yeah. 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 So, um... Put yourself in the position of the producers of this show. So you had an approval from NBC in late April, early May of 1973 for a show that would start airing in September of that same year. Okay. Now, let's think about an animated feature film. So anywhere from 60 to maybe 90 minutes, maybe a little more 
uh, just depending on who's making it and what the intention is. Um, it might take a few years, you know, at least a couple of years to make something on that big of a scale. This we're talking about a few months to crank out multiple episodes and deliver them on time. Now, the shows at the time cost about $75,000 each. That is if adjusted for inflation today. You're in the neighborhood of about $400,000. And that's the kind of budget that you would see today on, you know, like a half hour cable comedy, not a network comedy, uh, but, but something that you would find on like FX or, um, you know, maybe even one of the, the major cable stations, but you're talking about real world, single camera, half hour comedy. Um, you had in the neighborhood of like 75 artists at a time creating somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,000 individual cells per show. So what all this adds up to is that it was actually the most expensive animated show of its time. Um, and they actually benefited from the writer's strike that was going on at the same time. So you had this writer's strike. Writers could not, writers who were members of the union could not write for uh, a, a regular, like a dramatic uh, or live action TV show, but they were allowed to write one animated show at that time. So it's perfect. You go back, if you're a Gene Roddenberry or DC Fontana, you can go back to the writers who contributed to Star Trek and say, hey, as long as they're not writing right now, come write for us, do one episode, you get paid, and you get something on the air. Cartoon number one, Once Upon a Planet. Act one. The Enterprise crew beam down to the shore leave planet for some good old R&R. McCoy remembers it well. Hey guys, remember that time I imagined I saw the white rabbit and the little girl who looked like Alice? <laughs> Those were good times. And remember that time you all thought I was dead because I actually was dead and that I got put back together by an unknown alien technology? Yeah, that was... Uh, remind me why we're here again. Sure enough, a white rabbit being chased by a little blonde girl scampers off and McCoy is ready to hit us with some exposition. The planet, if you missed Shore Leave in the original series, uses a technology to recreate whatever someone might think up by way of robots and computers. It's kind of like a holodeck, if I knew what a holodeck was. But I don't, so forget I mentioned it. The party splits up, each free to indulge in the manifestation of their presumably happy thoughts, Uhura is singing by a lake. Sulu is doing something. McCoy pictures an old plantation house. But out of nowhere, the Queen of Hearts appears with her guards demanding the doctor's head. A chase ensues, and McCoy calls for an emergency beam-up. All are whisked back to the Enterprise except for Uhura. Rather, a robot claw reaches out for a communicator, and she is stuck. On the bridge, while everyone is talking about how weird Alice in Wonderland is, it finally dawns on them that Uhura is still missing. Scotty is working on it. Spock can't find her with his scanner either. Kirk takes a new landing party. Well, it's the same landing party from before, but without Uhura, to beam back down and find out what's happening. What has happened to Uhura? Well, she's in an underground cavern being antagonized by a computer. It's the computer that runs the planet, and he, it, is talking about the humans who serve their master, the Sky Machine. They are redundant, and they will be eliminated. Paging Dr. Roy Kirk, 
paging Dr. Jackson Roykirk. The landing party is trying to put all the pieces together. Uhura is nowhere to be seen, and Kirk thinks that if they could only find the guy who runs this place, the Keeper, they could get a few answers. Since the planet is made out of a dense metal alloy, Scotty is ready to beam down a powerful-looking phaser bore. But now the transporter isn't working. Also, communications stop working. Nothing is working. Not even the helm. And the guy with three arms is running that. Down on the planet, at least one piece of the mystery is coming together. Sulu finds a monument made of the same metal alloy, and it has an inscription on it that the Keeper has died. Uncle Walt is gone, kids. Act 2. More problems on the Enterprise. Scotty has tried to send a shuttlecraft, but Eryx can't even get the door controls in the hangar bay to work. Down on the planet, Uhura is still being bullied by that computer. It even has a couple of robots grab her hands when it detects that she might be looking for the off switch. This thing knows what she's thinking. Where's Captain Kirk when you need to talk a machine to death? I'll tell you where he is. He's debating with his landing party on where to look for Uhura just as the planet starts producing signs, literally signs, pointing the way. Of course it's a trap, but they've got no better lead to follow. The landing party are led to an area inhabited by some vicious-looking pterodactyls, finding refuge in a cave. Kirk makes a comment about the cat-and-mouse nature of their predicament, when what should appear but a gigantic cat, a really huge, man-eating cat, the kind of which has not been seen since the days of Sylvia and Korob. Still too soon. Uhura is doing her best to convince the computer to leave her crewmates alone. Her best isn't good enough. On board the ship, things just got haywire again. Crazy maneuvers. Everybody is bouncing around the bridge. Eric's manages to take things into manual control, and it appears that whatever intelligence is on the planet is learning how to throw the Enterprise around like a ragdoll. Act 3. With all this time to kill while hanging out in the cave, Spock comes up with a cunning plan. He remembers how McCoy was mortally wounded and then disappeared for repairs. If only they could recreate an injury to have one of them carried off to the control center. McCoy's got just the thing. A shot of the hypospray and a moment later, Spock is looking a bit worse for wear. It works. He passes out. Up on the ship, they're still being played with by the planetary computer. The artificial gravity shuts off, leaving everyone to float around. Sure, sounds like fun, but it's a lot harder to do your job that way. On the surface, a few minutes pass and a hovering robot shows up to collect Spock's limp body and the rest of the landing party chase after him. Only Kirk makes it with Spock, while McCoy and Sulu are left to contend with a two-headed, fire-breathing dragon. When Spock comes to, he and Kirk make their way to the main control room to find the computer in charge. You know what the problem is? It thinks that it has spent its entire life in servitude of humans who are enslaved by other machines. It wants to branch out, find other machines, and roam the galaxy, maybe enslaving other people. Things everywhere else are getting rougher. McCoy and Sulu are trapped. The Enterprise crew are mostly buckled in to keep from floating around, but there's a new computer on board being assembled by other computers. There's only one thing to do in a situation like this. Break out the Kirk word jujitsu and talk this computer down. You've got it all wrong, see? People and machines live in harmony. Why don't you stop attacking us and we'll show you? 
Also, you are acting illogically against your programming, so you should blow yourself up right now. Well, not that last part. This is a kid's show, but I bet Kirk was thinking it. The computer relents, and all the functions of the Enterprise are returned to normal. Shore leave is back on, and the computer will happily serve these humans the end. It makes absolutely no sense to me that they stay on the planet. <laughs> Why? Just because it tried to kill them? Just because it tried to kill them last time they were there, too. I mean, I know there was the issue of, okay, well, we didn't know what the controls were, so we have to think happy thoughts, and then we're fine. But then they come back, and we're like, oh, boy, are we tired. Time for some shore leave. And then, you know, it turns out the planet wants to kill them. And right. then the planet's like, oh, did I say kill? I meant thrill. <laughs> you stay and have a good time. And Kirk's like, ah, oh, thank goodness, because seriously, we are tired and we do want to yeah. have some fun. It's, it makes no sense. I mean, of, of all the planets that they've put cones around. Yeah, yeah. This one. Ta- Talos, <laughs> Shirley Planet. Um, it, 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 I even go back to uh, yesteryear when they go back to the Guardian. And again, if I'm, th- if I'm Kirk, I just want to stay away. You say it's just an, uh, an expedition to observe history. No. No, you saw what happened last time. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Anyway, it makes no sense to me that they stayed, but good for them. I'm sure they had a great time. Maybe we'll hear about it, you know, years down the road. Again, right. Uh, a couple of additional bits of trivia for this episode. Uh, Chuck Minville and Lynn Jansen, who wrote this episode, they were regulars for Filmation. So you see their names show up on a lot of their other shows. Um, and a lot of voice work here by James Dewan. Uh Scotty, of course, and he is talking to Eric's. So there's Duen talking to himself. Uh, plus, he's the computer, the evil, misprogrammed, misguided computer on the planet. He actually does five voices because then you have to include the White Rabbit and uh, Gabler, who is down there trying to fix the uh, the gravity controls on the Enterprise. And do me a favor. We're going to put a pin in the three things that you just called the computer. We are? Okay. Evil, misprogrammed, and misguided. misguided? Yeah. Can you remember those? Because I won't. I'll try to. All right, good. Because we have to come back to that. Okay. How did you feel about the cat, Ken? The most universally feared creature. Ah, whatever. It was actually it was actually more believable than the one um, with Sylvia and Korob. She totally was from yeah. Cat's Paw. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why. Maybe because we're already looking at something that looks cartoonish. And so then yeah. the cartoon cat comes. And you're like, oh, that's scary for those cartoon people. As opposed to, you know, with Sylvia and Korob, you were like, oh, look, they, they took a close up of a cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a little bit creepier. I guess that computer had watched Cat's Paw. Maybe. And uh, maybe that's what ticked it off. Maybe. <laughs> you know? Do you think Spock just walks around constantly afraid he's going to see a cat? <laughs> he might. He might. Well, actually, no, I take it back. It was Kirk this time that said he was playing cat and mouse. Cat so, and mouse. Yeah. 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 It was, it was and, Kirk's and, fault, not Spock's. Uh, speaking of cats, Ken, I don't know if you got it, but uh, Lieutenant Ress, uh, she's a cat. Get it? Uh, because she purrs constantly. I get that she's a cat. Yeah. Because she purrs. Is that why? Constantly. <laughs> see, see, I've got it because like the lion mane and the ears and the tail. But you're saying it was the purring that gave it away for you. Yeah. Well, well no. But I mean, I, because <laughs> I, I think it, it, it drives it home. It's like if there was any doubt. It does a little bit. Any doubt, it would have been better, actually. Would have been she, like if she didn't like, meow, meow, incoming message, meow. <laughs> She she speaks English with a cat accent. I wonder if Majel would just bust that out at parties. That I, was quite a talent. You know, there's somebody we could ask. 
There is. <laughs> um, can I just say really quickly, there is possibly, there is almost like this accidental hell that the Enterprise principles might have ended up in, in this episode. So here's the thing. The planet wants to kill the people from the Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the planet also has to heal anybody that falls ill. Yeah. This right. is potentially right. Promethean. Right. Yeah. Prometheus, uh, for people who don't remember, because it's been a few years, <laughs> um, steals fire and gives it to man. Right. Mm-hmm. And the punishment of Prometheus as a consequence for you know stealing fire from the gods as Zeus uh, sentences Prometheus to eternal torment for what he did. He ties him to a rock where each day an eagle, which is you know, uh, like Zeus's totem or something, mm-hmm. um, an eagle comes and eats <laughs> Prometheus's <laughs> liver. Well, while Prometheus is alive, Zeus does not screw around. I mean, well, he does, but he doesn't mess around. I'll put it that (laughs) way. Um, And so then what happens is, oh, it ate his liver. And then that night, his liver heals so that what can happen the next day, John? Oh, uh, the uh, the giant eagle comes back and eats his liver again. Eats his liver again, yes, that's and it's exactly just a right. Never ending, like a Mobius strip of liver eating <laughs> eagles. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let's apply this to this episode of Star Trek, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So we're going to kill Spock because the planet wants to kill Spock, but we want to save Spock and get you know like, inside the planet, right? So right. then Spock's just about dead. The planet comes and gets him and heals him. And where was I? Oh, that's right. I was going to kill Spock. (laughs) And and then, you know, of course, then Spock will be dead. So I'll have to heal him. And this really could be uh, purgatory. Yeah. This could be limbo. This could be hell. Or, you know, this could be this could be Prometheus, too. Look for it in theaters in 2016. (laughs) There's something about this plan that I just really um, if I were there, I'd raise my hand and say, okay. Everything is trying to kill us. Right. <laughs> we don't know why that we haven't seen the keeper because he's dead. Right. And we're just assuming that that part of the programming that heals you is still intact. Even though right. Uhura, in right. her conversation earlier, unbeknownst to them, the computer has said, I'm going to deactivate them. Right. Uh, which, you know, in Doctor Who talk would either be delete if you're uh, a Cyberman or exterminate if you're a Dalek. This does not end well for humans either way. Well, and she also teaches him a new word, murder. You're right, right. And he's, and he's like, like murder? Oh. Does that mean deactivate? Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm going to murder good. him then. Yeah. yeah that's, that. Add that to the thesaurus. That's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and this is a tough sell because, you know, in the original shore leave discussion that we had, uh, I talked about uh, my love for theme parks and, and the idea of like theme park architecture and immersive environments and all this stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of hard. Like if somebody's never been to Disneyland and you go like, no, really, it's fun. You should come with me and, and you do these things and you ride these rides and it's just sort of beautiful to look at, blah, blah, blah. And, and then you get down there and they have a bad time because it's also crowds and it's also expensive. This, the shore leaf planet is a hard sell because you say, no, you, you get to go there and you imagine whatever you want to imagine and it happens. <laughs> And also, you constantly get killed right. and, and reassembled. But but don't worry about that part. Right. Yeah. yeah. You may get wet on this ride. <laughs> right. Also, you may get beheaded. <laughs> right. But don't worry. You'll dry off and we'll put your head back on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. it's kind of amazing that, again, though, no signs. And again, too, um, I still say someday somebody is going to show up with a bill for this place. 
Oh yeah. So Absolutely. let me ask you a question. Okay, yeah. so you had the love, I think, for the uh, for the shore leave for the original series. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I know you like the idea of the amusement parks, though. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Did it not feel? I think you even mentioned it earlier when you were talking that it's got some of the same DNA. Did it not feel too much like it was trying too hard to say, "Look, we're Star Trek. Look at this. We've got we're on the same planet. We got the same <laughs> gags." Uh, of course, Sulu didn't find a gun, but it was, you know, a cartoon that would be on Saturday morning. So maybe they wouldn't have found a gun for that reason. But I mean, right, right. I mean, there's a lot of same old, same old going on here. Oh, well, there is a dead guy, though. I mean, that is that is kind of rough for a Saturday morning, I suppose. Yeah. Your yeah. Grandpa's dead. But I mean, <laughs> it, did it feel like it was like it was trying too hard to say, no, no, really, it's us. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's the hard part about this episode because I like the original, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, cool! They're back on that planet. We might learn more about how it works." But then it just becomes situational. Yeah. It, it, so they might as well be. They could be anywhere, and it's just a computer that is. Uh, what did I say? Evil, misguided, misprogrammed. Yeah. Um, Which we have to come back to. Thank you for remembering <laughs> we, those. We will. Um, it just comes down to the situational moment of, well, we have to get out from under this computer. So I, I'm disappointed that that we didn't get to take the themes of the original and make it more bigger, better, more exciting. But then you come back to the idea that it is a you know, 24 minute children's program. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, there's some disappointment there. I, I was glad to see them go there and I was glad to see it as part of Star Trek. Um, but it, it's unfortunate. It is interesting that we, I mean, that we are, I mean, we talked all through the original series about how we're never going to see this planet again. And that was, yeah. you know, every planet we came to the second earth that Mirian habits, <laughs> right. um, you know, any place with like some of the God people, you know, yeah. that were like yeah. gods, but were people or, you know, whatever they were. Um, it is neat to see that this planet does still exist in the Star Trek universe mm-hmm. and that we're revisiting it. Um, but you still go back to this problem I had with the original, which is, if you don't put the safety pylons around it and the right. police tape to keep people out, um, this is some incredible technology. Yes. Um, that if it fell into the wrong hands, this would really be a problem. Now, we don't have to worry about the wrong hands in this one because the computer itself is the wrong hands. Um, but anybody could show up and use this replicator slash medical slash thought reading i mean there's a lot going on here oh i don't know i mean you're assuming a lot i mean it took it took the enterprise forever to even find out about that stuff right yeah so so how are you thinking that somebody's going to come and take it over well remember ken that uh, the federation computers contain the sum of all knowledge so all all it takes is uh one one species that can look into that computer and go that sounds like fun (laughs) Let's go there. All right. Speaking of computers. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> what's your right. What's your problem? I mean, well, no, I don't want to say what's your problem because that sounds competitive yeah. and, 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 and I know I'm going to be. But and, I, and you I, would never do that. I don't want to yeah. sound like it, though. Yeah. I have a problem with the way this computer was treated, honestly, by the Enterprise, which may sound weird because I know the, Inter- I, the computer was trying to kill the Enterprise and the people coming from the Enterprise. And certainly I would say that it was misguided in that it seems to think – that machines run everything, although that doesn't really explain. Well, tell me what your issue was with this computer. 
Well, here's the thing, Ken. I mean, I, I have a laptop that I use, like, uh, say, like Eric's uses a third arm. Okay. You know, it, 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 I use it constantly. It's important to me, and I would be a little lost without it. Um, if that laptop uh, that I have a, a really good relationship with decided one day that it would try to kill me mm-hmm. or uh, delete me, Mm-hmm. or uh, whatever the term may be, um, I would immediately assume that there is a severe problem with its programming and it needed to have its software wiped out and reinstalled. I would not and see And I think I know where you're going with this. And I think it's an interesting idea that the computer has somehow gone from a thing that is programmed mm-hmm. to do one thing, which is read minds and create the avatar of the thing that the mind has imagined. Right. Okay. I think what you're thinking is that it has now reached a a kind of consciousness. Is, right. is that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Which I think is interesting, but it is also a machine that has grown beyond its boundaries in a dangerous way. And if any computer needs to be talked down, I think it's this computer. Now. Is there a possibility for another ending here? I, I was glad to see that Kirk just just volunteered Spock for the job. He's like, yeah, uh, Spock doesn't do anything on shore leave. You guys stay here and talk just as long as you want. Please, what would Spock rather do than talk to an intelligent computer? I know. Yeah, I know. Huff yeah. some spores maybe, but that's it. <laughs> right, right. So I thought that was an interesting um, idea that there will be a further conversation and I was kind of interested in what that conversation would be mm-hmm. uh, because that computer has a lot to learn. But if there is something in this programming that is wrong, it's sort of like we need to go back to the three laws of robotics here. And yes, this computer is reprogrammed so it doesn't do something like um, kill people. Okay. You know, that, that's what it comes down to for me. See, here's what's interesting to me. I think you're getting caught in the part where it's a computer. And let's not make it a machine, let's just make it an intelligence. Because the problem that I had with this episode was not the fact that Kirk mistreated a computer or that the Enterprise crew mistreated a computer. It Mm -hmm. was that they came across someone. And you can say, well, it's not someone because it's a machine. But Mm -hmm. it is an intelligence. And it seems to to have a bit of awareness, right? They came across someone who said, you know what? I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I'm going to do something else. Mm -hmm. And all the crew of the Enterprise said, why? What you're doing is awesome. So just so just be happy. I mean, so so imagine if somebody had said that to Kirk at any point in his life. If Kirk said, "You know what? I don't want to be on Earth anymore. I want to be a starship captain." Oh, but honey, you're so good here on Earth. So why don't you just stay here? That was honestly the problem that I had with it. There was this thing that wanted to be more, and mm-hmm. because it did not sit well with what the Enterprise wanted. Because they would have been killed. Not necessarily. Okay, so there's always more than one solution, right? It's like the whole thing about, okay, so give them the Galileo. You want to go out and see the universe? Dude, here you go. Because we'll find out in the next episode, they've got like nine shuttles. <laughs> they do. In right. the shuttle bay. I mean, <laughs> right. Mud is going to take his time figuring out which one of these rides he wants to take, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, they could actually give the – they could you know set it straight and say, look, you're not going to take over anything. Machines don't run everything. I felt kind of bad, actually, because the computer wants to go out and meet his brother computers. He's going to be really disappointed when he finds out they're just label makers, not actual computers. <laughs> but okay. Right. 
Give him a way to get off the planet, because that's what he wants. Now, there are a lot of problems with this computer and his homicidal rage. Personally, to me, doesn't seem to be the biggest one. The fact that he can't think non-linearly kind of bothers me. He's talking to Uhura, and she's like, well, can you explain this to me? He's like, no, I can't. Got too much stuff to do. Okay. Right. Dual processing cores might not be a bad idea for a computer that's going to run a planet. Uh, He's not thinking in terms of, well, if I can create all of these things for them, then why can't I create all of these things for me? I mean, it's sort of like a spaceship. Yeah. Like a spaceship. Almost like, well, I mean, a spaceship or even just, you know, his own recreation of a spaceship, almost like, you know, a ship in a bottle, maybe, Mm. or something like that, where he can explore Mm -hmm. the universe without actually having to explore the universe. The problem that I had with this episode was here's somebody who wants to do something more. No, 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 no. You're fine at the level that you're at right now. Don't strive. That's for others. That was honestly the biggest problem that I had with this episode. Well, that that and the fact that we're going, hey, look, it's still this. (laughs) Right, right, right. I, I I get it, but again, you know, this was a machine that was made by the the keeper, the other keepers of this planet for mm-hmm. a purpose. And again, if the machines that I have that are there for a purpose decide that those purposes aren't good enough anymore, that the new purpose is going to be to kill me in my sleep, then that machine is going back to the genius bar and get wiped out. Except we're talking about two different things. I mean, you're you honestly, when you say that. And and again, since we're talking about a cartoon, then we have to admit that we're not talking about a computer. And if we're not talking about a computer and we're just talking about a character or an intelligence, the problem mm-hmm. that I have is you're almost subscribing to a caste system at that point. This thing was made for this one thing. This thing has one place in society. And how dare it think that it can do something more? How dare it think it can do something better? How dare it think it can sit here as opposed to sitting there? Or how dare it think it can apply for this job when really it's only good for this job? But it's a machine programmed for that thing. (laughs) It's an allegory. You say it's a machine programmed for that thing, but this whole, all of Star Trek is an allegory. And that's the problem that I'm having, or all of Star Trek is a parable. I don't know which, but that's the problem that I'm having. They are coming across something that has almost infinite talent, that has an incredible amount of intelligence, and it wants to do more than it can do currently. And what they do is they talk it into thinking that, no, it doesn't want to do that. No, I know, and, and I, I do meet you halfway to the extent that I, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from because I, I, I thought of that as kind of the flip side of this argument, and yes, like I said, there's another thing to explore here, which is the conversation the computer and Spock has, and that would take a, a really great writer to explore that, but I, I kind of want to know what happened next, and then I agree. How do you come back to this and say, well, you want more knowledge, you want more maybe here are the options that you could do this. And at the same time, we have to make sure you don't kill. Right. Because you you just seemed hell-bent on killing. And what if something else that happens to you in your exploration, like Nomad, you know, you just figure out one day, you know what, all these carbon-based life forms are imperfect. The best thing to do with them is to wipe them out. It could learn that lesson again. Potentially. Yeah. The only the only problem I have with what you're saying is when they decide that it's safe, you know, Kirk calls mm-hmm. up to Lieutenant Kitty Cat and says, hey, send everybody down. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> safe now. We're not actually yeah. worried about this thing killing everybody. We're worried about not being able to get from this thing what we want to get from this thing. And that's yeah. that's the part that kind of uh, kind of made me shudder. Well, Ken, you and I may uh, may disagree on, on these elements here, but are there lessons that you picked up? From the episode, uh, none that I liked. 
<laughs> okay. That, I mean, that was seriously that was seriously yeah. it. That was seriously what I got off this episode was don't strive. <laughs> oh, wow. wow! Don't shoot above your uh, don't shoot above your station. And I don't believe that that was actually the lesson that they were trying to impart. But that that was all I could see when this thing's like, I want to go out, and they're like, mm, No, Stan. Yeah. Well, I mean, Uhura tried to put kind of a, a bow on it at the end and say, Look, and if you use free will, then serving others can be a noble and and worthy goal. Mm-hmm. So, so okay, I. You know, I'll uh, I'll go along with that. The free will thing is the the critical part of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. right. I, can't uh, wait, I can't wait to tell you how much you want to get me drinks next time we're in Vegas. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. As, as long as you, I mean, as long as it's your will to do that, John, I think you'll yeah. have a great time. Your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. Um, Kirk tells the computer, "There's no ruler of the galaxy. There's us." And we try to work together with each other and with our machines. Okay, not bad. So um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Your chores can wait until later. First, there's more mission log. Right after this. That's the Star Trek Command Communications Console for use with a Star Trek communicator sold separately. Each uses one 9-volt battery, not included. The Command Communications Console has a multicolor phaser light screen. You can broadcast up to 1,300 feet, and there's a Morse code key that you can buzz out loud or broadcast to the communicators. The Star Trek Command Communications Console. Communicators sold separately in pairs. From Mego. And now, back to Mission Log. Cartoon number two. Mud's Passion. Act 1. The Enterprise is headed to the planet Motherlode to apprehend the scoundrel and scourge of the Enterprise, Harcourt Fenton Mud, for fraud, illegal drug manufacturing, and swindling. When Kirk and Spock beam down, they find Mud pitching a bunch of laborers on a love potion. He even shows how well it works on a gorgeous blonde, which is revealed by Spock to be a Regillian hypnoid, sort of a hypnotic lizard with fur. The love potion's a ripoff. Flim flam. It's snake oil, see? Mud, who had been resisting going along quietly with Kirk and Spock, has a change of heart and gladly surrenders to the Enterprise officers. It's either that or be killed by the miners he'd been trying to swindle. In sickbay aboard the Enterprise, Nurse Chapel says Mud will be fine despite some roughing up by the miners of Motherlode. That's my band name, not yours. Mud's been busy since last they saw him. He stole a spaceship to get off of planet Mud, or whatever the robot planet was called. He went to another, more peaceful planet, the inhabitants of which thought they'd bought Starfleet Academy from him. That profit he turned into a trip to Sirius 9, where he found and procured the love potion he'd been trying to sell to the miners of Motherlode. My band, not yours. Mud says the potion actually works, but Kirk won't hear it. He tells Spock to prepare Mud's arrest report. Spock tells Chapel to do a full medical workup on Mud. Chapel compliments Spock in a huge way. And here's another carryover from the original series to the animated series. Chapel's got it bad for Spock. And Mud sees it. He starts sweet-talking Chapel. He would like to thank her for just her being her by offering her one of the love potions. Just put some on, touch Spock, and boom, he will be in love with you. Chapel doesn't believe Mud. 
And yet she can't help giving it a go after Harry appeals to her as a woman in love and a scientist capable of running tests and drawing her own conclusions. Chapel lowers the force field, separating her and Mud to take the potion. Act 2. The Enterprise has achieved parking orbit around a Class M planet in a binary star system. Those are rare enough that it seemed worth checking out. No evidence of intelligent life, though. Back in the brig, Chapel says she'll run some lab tests on the potion, but Mud says that'll ruin it. Just put it on and touch Spock. Chapel applies the potion and gets woozy. Mud steadies her, though, and secretly takes her phaser in the process. Feeling better, Chapel puts Mud back in lockup and then goes to find Spock. No sooner is she gone, though, than Mud uses his newly pilfered phaser to free himself. He's also stolen her Enterprise ID, which he counterfeits to look like an ID for him, though his name is still Christine Chapel. The moment of truth. Chapel goes to give Spock Mud's medical record and clumsily falls into his lap. So there's the touching. And there's no change in Spock. Surprise! Love potion number Mud doesn't work. Chapel goes to give Mud a piece of her mind, but he is gone. Not in the brig. Now she notices her phaser missing. Mud, meanwhile, is in the shuttle bay. Cut back to Spock, finishing the arrest report, including the part where Nurse Christine Chapel did the medical summary. Nurse Chapel's sweet summary. Dear, lovely Christine. Surprise! Love potion number Mud does work. Spock senses something's up with him, though of course he doesn't know that he's been dosed. He goes to the bridge to report that something's wrong. He's feeling strange emotions. Chapel, meanwhile, is caught up to Mud. She knocks him over, gets her phaser back, then gives him what for for tricking her with the potion. Hey, he says, you know what Vulcans are like. Maybe it takes a minute. Or maybe you need more potion crystals. He produces more, but Chapel won't hear it. Mud drops the crystals and runs from Chapel. She sounds red alert, but things are about to get much worse. The dropped and shattered love potion crystals have been sucked into the Enterprise air supply. It will definitely not be all out of love. Somehow Mud gets the drop on Chapel. He wrests the phaser from her, apologizes, and says that he will need her as a temporary hostage. On the bridge, Lieutenant Eriks puts the shuttle bay, source of the red alert, on screen. There, everyone sees Mud take off with his hostage, Christine Chapel, which freaks Spock out. He says he's in love with her, that she's his, which freaks everyone else out. Mud and Chapel are headed planetside. Spock insists on going to get them, and Kirk says he'll come too. Everybody's talking about how weird the whole Spock in love thing is, though it probably won't be long before stuff gets even more strange. Love is in the air. Act 3. Kirk and Spock are getting ready to go after Mud and Chapel. McCoy has to tell them something, though. He found some of Mud's shattered love potion crystals against an air vent. Kirk says, good thing they don't work, but Bones thinks maybe they do. The crew's getting a little strange, plus, have you met Rudolph Valentino Spock? Morass, the Catwoman, starts hitting on Scotty, who doesn't seem to be complaining. Oh, and by the way, they've got coordinates for Mud and Chapel on the planet. Down on the planet, Mud's got a plan. He's going to leave Christine here and go make his fortune. On this desert planet. It's an odd plan. He plans to make his fortune on a peaceful Class M planet that has no intelligent life, but is home, it turns out, to some gigantic rock lizard monsters. The rock lizard things go to attack Mud and Chapel as Kirk and Spock arrive. 
Kirk calls up to the Enterprise for an emergency beam up, but they don't hear the call. Too busy dancing to loud music in the transporter room. Also, McCoy's putting the moves on a red skirt. Planet side, Kirk and Spock start getting testy. Then they realize that they are reacting to the drug, the love potion. This is the first indication Mud's had that the potion actually works. The rock lizard things move in for another attack. Don't worry, though. Spock beats rock and lizard. I wish that were true. Actually, Kirk gets Mud to give him the last two love potion crystals he has, breaks them, and throws them at the creatures. They start fighting each other. On board the Enterprise, the crew is recovering, as if from a hangover. They have headaches and a sudden antipathy for one another. They finally hear the landing party's call for help, though, and beam Kirk, Spock, Chapel, and Mud back aboard. Turns out the antipathy felt by the crew is a side effect of the love potion, and Chapel is now feeling that for Spock. Harry, meanwhile, has made a full confession of his most recent crimes. He's off to rehabilitation therapy. Again. The end. Wow, you worked in All Out of Love. <laughs> I, I would be so lost without that reference, dude. <laughs> well, well played. Thank, well played. thank you very um, much. And Love was also in the air. I was, I was a fan of that, too. Yeah, good. Yeah. good. Um, this episode was written by Stephen Kandel, who, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote the original Mud episodes and, of course, has had a very wide and varied career in TV. It, basically, if you watched TV at all in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you saw something written by Stephen Kendall. But they not did to be not... confused with Stephen J. Kendall, different guy. But they didn't all include Harry Mudd, right? They didn't. <laughs> only, they didn't. only his Star Trek. He only has three Star Trek titles that I could find. And it's yeah, and they're it's all, all Mud Harry Mudd something. Yeah, it's like the Fletch books, but different. Yeah, right. And it just made me come back to the idea, just asking myself, did we really need more Harry Mudd? Was he trying to atone for the Harry Mudd mistakes the first time around? Um, and more of Harry Mudd with magic pills? Um, I Wow. It is weird that we get two such incredibly self-referential, I guess, might be the best way to put it, uh, mm-hmm. episodes yeah. in a row. Yeah. We get, we get um, you know, Once Upon a Planet, which is, you know, pointing constantly back to shore leave. Right. And then, of course, we get the return of uh, Harcourt, Fenton, Mud. Although, if memory serves, you had said that um, I, Mud was was sort of a response to uh, fan adoration for Mud, right? Yeah. All yeah. right. So, putting him in the cartoon actually makes sense. It's kind of like when the Globetrotters were on um, every cartoon. Sure, exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit like yeah. that, you know. Hey, here's a star we know, or here's a character that we know. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Harry Mudd, a much more charismatic character than Cyrano Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. true. I mean, I, I like the idea that we went back to ideas mm-hmm. from other shows. So you pointed out, like, the, the Chapel-Spock relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's kind of cool that, that that was picked up on. And uh, we we found a little something else to do with it. To me, it felt like Star Trek being derivative of Star Trek without really adding too much that was new. Um, And I wanted to like this. And I wanted to like Harry Mudd um, instead of just thinking of him as a caricature who has outlived his usefulness. (laughs) And by the end of it, I was like, oh, man, we just got more Harry Mudd. He was a caricature who had outlived his usefulness, though. 
um, in by Ahmad. the second episode. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. I yeah. mean, as much as you might like um, uh, Robert Car- Robert Carmel, Roger Roger Carmel, Roger Carmel. Yeah. as much as you might like him, and as much as you might like sort of the, you know the ribbing and the poking and the and and I can't wait to get the email saying you're taking this cartoon too seriously because hi, right. we're analyzing a cartoon. Right. But this was even less fun than I Mud, yeah. which um, uh, which is kind of sad. I, I was kind of disappointed, though, that the chapel would come anywhere near that potion that Mud is selling and that she wouldn't put herself under quarantine right after she was hit by it. Like, I understand that we have to drive the story along, but I expected more out of chapel. There's I no really there's did. no reason to. She's she's as bendy and flexible as um, as McCoy. Mm-hmm. In the writer's hands, and and you know every character has suffered from this from time to time. Yeah, uh, but Chapel is is so borderline extra. Right. I mean, this is really. I want to say this is. Well, no, there was also the one where uh, Uhura took over the Enterprise. The oh, Lorelai signal. Yeah, yeah. there was Lorelai signal. Yeah. Okay, so Chapel had a bit of screen time there as a character. Um, yeah. She's certainly more central in this one, but. You go back to uh, the original series, and there were times where Chapel was, you know, like spot on, super sharp, you know, her own woman, and other right. times where it was like, hey, we need somebody to do something dumb. Well, right. we've already got McCoy doing something dumb in the third <laughs> act, so right. let's bring in Nurse Chapel. So, yeah. I mean, this this was kind of that. Yeah, like the idea that she would, you know, try the potion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the idea that she is not immediately um, court-martialed. After yeah, this, right. Or, or right. you know, something bad happening after this is, a, is is kind of a stunning one. Although we haven't seen next week's cartoon, so maybe that's yeah. it. <laughs> There's more to come. <laughs> maybe so. Um, I think we have to address that uh, Mud absolutely spells out <laughs> that the love potion <laughs> is between a man and a woman. Yeah. Make no mistake. Yeah. This forms friendships right. if you are of the same sex. Yeah, not ready for homosexuality at all at this point. No. Which, in fairness, I mean, I was – how old were we when Soap came on? Was it 76 or 77? Uh, so around there, yeah, yeah. That's the first time I remember homosexuality being addressed where it wasn't just somebody prancing around on the screen, Right. 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 Point being, I mean, it, try pulling, you know, homosexuality on a 2014 cartoon, let alone one in 1974. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. They are they are absolutely 100% clear. Although, you know, you know, kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old kids, they, they're probably like, really? It would just make you friends? Yeah. <laughs> there has to have been, <laughs> there have been a couple of guys going, wait a minute now. How is that? Why is... Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's kind of weird. So we're we're so we're not going to be cool with. Okay. So you know, uh, uh, relations are between a man and a woman, according to you know Harcourt Fenton Mud. When you right. when you pop one of these crystals or whatever, cross species though or interspecies, totally fine. Mm-hmm. That's not. I mean, so so Catwoman mm-hmm. <laughs> starts starts <laughs> putting the moves on Scotty, and he yeah. wasn't like, hey, hey, hold on a second, Lassie, which uh-huh. is weird because that's a name for a dog and you're a cat. But I think you know what I mean. <laughs> I, d- I did have another question, and this may be going a little too far, maybe a little too deep, and maybe saying a little too much about me. Is Mresh sure. hypoallergenic? Oh yeah, and, I, and, and, and she must be because I've got a whole uh, allergic thing to cats. <laughs> that would be very tough if you're in a starship for five years. Well, yeah, that is the weird thing. I was actually wondering about that. Like when she mm-hmm. comes to apply to be, you know, in Starfleet, does anybody go? All right, we're really going to have to screen whatever ship you're on pretty hard, right? Or, uh, or does Bones just have one of his magic hypos? 
I, and doesn't even ask you if you want it. He's just like, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Don't worry. <laughs> don't yeah. worry about her. Give it to her every 10 minutes, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, so Scotty ends up with cat scratch fever. Um, <laughs> and, 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 but, but I'm not thinking the Nugent one. I'm actually, I'm doing the Stevie Wonder song, uh, the theme to Spike Lee's movie, Jungle Fever, except cat scratch fever. Cause you know, oh, they're wow. in love. Wow. <laughs> Wow. For like yeah, an hour, maybe. I don't know. It's very good. Um, I, I will say this, that the uh, the rock creatures here are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, something very hard to carry off with practical effects. Would um, be, yeah. Like, would be. Yeah, I mean, we we already saw the Excalibur in the Savage Curtain and uh, <laughs> how, how well that turned out. I um, already don't remember what that was, so I'm guessing it wasn't good. Uh, if I say Lincoln meets Surak, no, no, no. I know. I remember. I remember the Savage Curtain. I don't remember what the Excalibur was. Oh, I do now. It's sort of like the rock creature. Yeah, yeah. Right. He's yeah. exactly like a rock creature. Yeah, um, I was actually this. This. So I'm liking the creatures in the animation, and maybe the reason that we don't like the characters in the animation, but we like the creatures in the animation, mm-hmm. is because we know what the characters look like. Yeah, but the creatures can be imaginary. The that hill of rock. When I saw it, I was like, "Hey, that looks kind of like a lizard," mm-hmm. you know. And then when it opened its eyes, I was like, "Ah, well done, filmation," which is not right. something you'll hear me say often. <laughs> right. But right. well done indeed, filmation. I'm starting yeah. to like I'm starting to like the creatures a lot more. Yeah, well, and it just even with the human characters, a good effect like the zero G in the previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, something that you couldn't really do on the original series. But we got to address the idea that the Enterprise has some sort of gravity plating uh, or uh, gravity field, and that's what keeps them down. Um, but you turn it off, and you got a problem. Yeah, you want to talk about one of the uh, one of the tells that carried over from the original series to the animated series? Sure thing. If Spock is smiling. Uh huh. There's trouble. Yeah. Now, now, granted, there was already trouble before Spock smiled, but that's always going to be a key. You're, I right. mean, if Spock is smiling, things are not going well. Right. Even if it looks like they are. <laughs> um, it's kind of curious to me the whole thing where so they land on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or teleport down to the planet, and and it's uneven footing, and and Jim catches Spock, and Spock's like, "Oh, it's so good to have a friend like you." <laughs> and, and, and and Kirk's like, weird, I feel the same way. Okay, well, it's actually not weird for Kirk to feel that way, but you know, maybe he's feeling it especially right then, and so it's weird that it's happening to both of them at the same time. We've seen Spock accidentally reveal his feelings for Kirk before, mm-hmm. and we're still a few years from, I have been and always shall be your friend. We're, right. we're, we're a long way from him being able to openly say, dude, you're my bud. Yeah. Um, I am thinking, though, of times like uh, him breaking into a run when he thinks that Kirk's been killed by the Horda and Devil in the Dark. Yeah. Or, or you know, the excited excla- exclamation when he finds out at the end of mock time that Kirk is not dead. And by the way, that was two episodes that I named. Right good there. job. Yeah, thank Very you. good job, Ken. You get a gold star for this week. It makes it kind of makes you wonder if, if the potion is making people fall in love, if it's making people feel differently, or if it's more like a in vino veritas kind of thing. Is it creating emotions or just, you know letting people express their emotions or letting down the guard a bit. Well, I mean, it seems like it's a little bit of both because Spock is revealing his friendship with Kirk that we know is already there. Mm -hmm. We only know that the chapel thing is a one-way street. We've only known that to this point, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, I mean, we also know, though, 
that that McCoy will flirt with anything. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I love given that. <laughs> given like a minute, and it was it was actually great. That was a great that was a very much a McCoy kind of thing. Get McCoy just a little bit drunk. Yeah, I didn't mention it in the recap, but he's like, "Yeah, I saved Captain Kirk, I saved mm-hmm. Spock, I saved Uhura, I've saved everybody." If the Enterprise had a heart, I'd save it. Let's talk about bit. your Stick heart, your baby. Heart. <laughs> <laughs> All he left it. off was the baby. Most of that was yeah. actually a quote, but yeah. but yeah, he didn't say baby. But she's and she's she's right there because you know, love is in the air, as we say. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that um, that was handled uh, of the things that I did like in this episode. I thought that was handled very well. The the moment with Kirk and Spock um, because it, it does inform what has come before and what is yet to come in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I liked was that after they realize what's going on with Spock, sort of treating him with kid gloves. <laughs> I thought that was really <laughs> nice. Kurt just being like, okay, he's stronger than us. Right. He's smarter than us. Right. If he's a little off, we need to be careful here. It's like, don't get too close to the angry drunk who has violent tendencies. Right. Because you know? here's the thing, Spock is not doing anything that they're going to do, that they're not going to do anyway. Mm-hmm. He's like, we have to go after Chapel. Well, of course they have to go after Chapel. Right. And, you know, they need somebody who's good in a fight. Well, Spock's very good in a fight. Yeah. He is not going to be afraid. And, you know, Bones is absolutely right from a medical standpoint. Spock's a little loopy right now. Maybe we don't want to send him. And Kirk's like, yeah, try to stop him. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> it really is kind of interesting. Now, of course, when they get down to the planet and then they start getting a little testy with each other, that was that was kind of weird and unexpected because yeah. Spock's love for Chapel hasn't worn off at all, so they they shouldn't be feeling the antipathy effects yet. Yeah. But I mean, maybe it's just you know the whole weirdness of you know weird. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that Kirk was somehow able to turn the two crystals that uh, that um, that Mud gave him to like nine. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very he's a very good captain like that. Yeah, he yeah. is, and and it also it has uh, contraindications for the uh, lizard rock creatures because um, they just went straight at it, and not <laughs> not in a sexy fun time kind of way, <laughs> right? <laughs> in, a, in a fighting kind of way. Um, can we wrap this up by saying something on our discussion here about what you brought up earlier, Ken, which is that. You know, you talked about going back to the well and and just sort of pointing, hey, look, we're back on the shore leaf planet. Hey, look, we're back with mud. Mm-hmm. And the thing that is interesting about the animated series to me is that, yes, we're referencing these things from previous episodes, but it's not happening in the way that you or I would want, I think. You know, like I pointed out, the things that I liked in this particular episode are the character reveals, the character indications that pick up a thread from before and then maybe launch us into what we'll get to, you know, mm-hmm. several episodes, several movies down the road. Um, but I think what you and I always were harping on in TOS was consequence. You know, nothing from one episode to another has any impact on what happens to the people in another episode. So here we are again with references and direct sequels to the original series. But there's nothing really that that pushes the story along. It's just like, well, we're there because we were here before. I would I would definitely agree with that as far as Once Upon a Planet. I might disagree a tiny bit with um, Mud's passion. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of of 
Mud as a character. I think Mud's mm. Women was actually a fantastic, fantastic episode. Uh, highly underrated. I'll agree with you there. Yeah. And I think I Mud was a highly overrated episode. Totally. As far agree. as a lot of people are concerned, but what I, yep. or as far as I'm concerned, not as far as a lot of people. Uh, other people <laughs> love it as much as they love it. Me, yeah. not so much. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that that we actually find out what he's been up to. And mm-hmm. it's not like, mm-hmm. how did you get off that robot planet? Oh, I stole a ship. Okay, well, okay, that that should be plenty. And for yeah. a lot of cartoons, that would be plenty. But he's like, well, I stole a ship, and I went over here, and I swindled these guys, and then I got this thing over here. I mean, right. he's he's been working his angles, and I like the fact that we can actually that we can follow his story. I mean, he is still mud. Yeah. He's not just a drawing of mud, which which yeah, may yeah. sound kind of weird, but actually, I I did like sort of you know filling in that bit. That said, he's still a useless character, and there's still a lot of dumb stuff that happens in this episode. But I, I felt more that way about the shore leave planet because, I mean, it was just – it was more situational to me, it, yeah. less less character-driven. Even if you don't like Mud's character, it, you know, they, they did his character, and they did, mm-hmm. it, they did mm-hmm. that part fairly well. Whether, whether that's you know, worth doing again is, is a whole other question. Let's talk about lessons here. What do we pick up in uh, Mud's passion? Um, swindling is wrong. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in the 23rd century, it's cool because they're just going to, you know, they're going to put you in rehab. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to go back out and swindle some more. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even if you confess to all your other crimes. You know. There is one other thing that's kind of goofy. So he bought something that he is peddling as something that he's convinced that it's not, but it turns out it actually is. Right. So so, so he meets a guy, and the guy's like, I got these love crystals. Yeah. And and Mud doesn't believe that they actually work, but he goes ahead and buys them and then sells them as love crystals anyway. Well, he could have right. cut out the middleman. I mean, if that's all he was going to do, he could have cut out the middleman, just cut some crystals and said, these are love crystals. Right. Right. That part was right, kind right. of, although you do get sort of the moment like, oh, they work, you know, which is cute, <laughs> which is cute for a cartoon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What about I mean, you? Uh, what about you? Uh, well, it, you know, Ken, you can't buy love. Uh, you, you just can't, not even in the form of a crystal. You, um, you can rent, you can rent it for a couple of hours though. <laughs> you can, you can. That's, that's a little different. <laughs> is, that, is that a lesson? <laughs> that, no, that, that'll be a totally different animated episode that okay. uh, has never been or never will be produced. Um, you know, there's always time. I hear there are people out there making their own live action Star Treks. Yes. You, you and me, we, no, we, we could make our own cartoons. No, dude, Treks. dude, there are. There are continuing animated episodes of Star Trek made oh, by fans. I was hoping that was our idea. Never mind then. No, Go ahead. For a link coming later. Um, as we've seen in Star Trek before, you kind of have to control your emotions or else you never get anything done. Um, and the, the old uh, adage of being careful what you wish for. Also, please, please, kids, don't do drugs. Um, but I will say something that I was really glad that in your recap, you used the words uh, steak oil and flim flam. Yeah. Because all of this kind of appealed to my skeptical nature. Um, and it's kind of interesting to me because kids may get it. You know, if you're that 10 year old watching this and you go, wait, here's this sleazy salesman with a fake product, although it actually works, although it has a big downside. Um, and a kid gets that. Like, yeah, clearly this guy is a criminal. Clearly he is up to no good. But then we also grow up into adults who just as easily can turn off our critical thinking about false claims, which is what Nurse Chapel does. So I'm still a little uh, disappointed in Chapel there. But um, I thought there were a lot of interesting uh, threads in this episode. I would actually say there's more of that with the miners than there is with Chapel. 
I mean, Chapel mm, is, willing, yeah, sure. is willing to try it because, you know, what does she have to lose? He's handing them to her for free. Now it turns yeah. out, of course, it's a giant scam, and it's a giant scam that actually endangered um, the Enterprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, she didn't, she didn't, like, put anything out there. Kirk and Spock show up on, on um, to the miners of Motherlode. That's <laughs> my tour. By the way, tour shirts coming Good. soon. Can't wait. Uh, they show up to the miners of Motherlode, and they're like, uh, this guy's a swindler. And um, and Mud says, oh, that's really interesting, people who have no authority here. And and the miners are like, yeah, you got no authority here, so stay out of it. You were saying swindler? Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's... Right. They're 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 sort of worse, I think, than Chapel. Although, again, I'm I'm willing to cut the Chapel character slack in this episode, honestly, because Chapel has no character. I mean, she yeah. is she is a recurring actress. She is a recurring uh, piece of scenery that we see over and over again. Sometimes that character gets to do amazing things, and sometimes that character is no smarter than a fern. Yeah. And and so I I kind of I know you're disappointed because you want more for Nurse Chapel. I wanted more for Nurse Chapel all the way through the series, mm-hmm. um, and really past a mock time. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like we get we 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 get a lot out of out of that character, unfortunately. Great actress, love her. Yeah, no letters. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, letters. You know what? Let's let's call for letters. Not about the Nurse Chapel controversy, please. And, and I'm going to go ahead and call it a controversy so that hopefully we can tamp it down. Chapelgate. Well, this will be our Chapelgate. Chapelgate. I like that. That actually sounds like a British uh, detective series somehow. Anyway, (laughs) uh, if you would like to contact us, there are a million and a half ways to do it. And by a million and a half, I mean like six. Uh, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is MissionLogPod at all of those places. You can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, MissionLog at Roddenberry.com. That's... I said there were six, so if you see either of us, uh, tap us on the shoulder and whisper in our ears. Um, remember, we may use your comments from any of those places in an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, as always, there's more to come on Mission Log. Next week, two more animated episodes. It's the Terratin Incident and the Time Trap. Music for Mission Log provided by Big Gorgon Trio. Find their self-titled album on iTunes. Additional music provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. And now the saddest part of every 7 to 12 year olds week. When Saturday morning cartoons give way to televised bowling. And transmission. <laughs>